Hey y'all, welcome back to episode three. So this month it is only me, me, myself and I. And we are talking about Booker T. Washington and his contributions to career and technical education. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Um, I really enjoyed talking about him and all the things that he's done for CTE. Um, I talk about this in the episode, but I will put my dissertation and also Uh, the podcast email address in the show notes so if you want to provide some feedback or anything like that please do so if you have some questions I would love to do a question and answer episode Um, before I close out this introduction though I want to um, just acknowledge uh, Ralph y'all I hope I'm saying his name correctly but he is the um, 16 year old uh, young man who was shot in Kansas City um, and wounded and so um, this story has really uh tried to disrupt my peace and so I'm praying for his family for his full recovery Um, but I really just wanted to acknowledge and um, create some space for no one else myself just to acknowledge kind of um, what is going on with that situation um, that has happened Um, and I'm so so sad for him and his family um, but also praying that justice will be served so anyway enjoy the episode bye y'all so in this month's episode episode three I do not have a guest um I thought that I would just take the time to share more about Booker T Washington um and I'll probably do another episode like this for W.E.B. Du Bois um but I want to give both gentlemen their space and kind of talk about their contributions to career technical education um I will bring back guests in future episodes but tonight this one is dedicated to Booker T. Washington, all that he's done for the field of CTE. Um, if you have not listened to the very first episode of the podcast, I will encourage you to go back and listen to episode one. In that episode, I talk really in depth about the dissertation process, why I chose my topic. Uh, and that conversation is with me and one of my good friends, Taylor. Um, and she does a phenomenal job of asking me questions just about how I landed on the topic um, and what my process was like throughout the whole um, doctoral program. Um, so for those of you who again, did not hear episode one, I do want to tell you what the title of my dissertation was, um, or is rather. Um, So the title is History Doesn't Decide for Us, A Case Study of Black Parents and Their Perception of Career and Technical Education with an in-depth look at the philosophies of Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois, however you like to say it. Um, That is a mouthful of a title, but I promise you it's really, really good. Um, And so if you are interested and reading the full dissertation, um, I will put the link to find it in the show notes. Um, So in this episode, like I said, we're going to talk about um, Booker T. Washington. We're going to talk about who he is, what his contributions were to career and technical education, um, 21st century CTE, um, and the experience of Black Americans today in 2023 as it relates to CTE. And then just the history of CTE um, through through the Black American lens. Um, So starting with Booker T. Washington, he was born in 1856. 
He was born a slave in Virginia. Um, unfortunately, we don't know his exact birth date because he was enslaved. We're not exactly sure when in 1856 he was born, but we do know he was born a slave in 1856 in the state of Virginia. He definitely believed in industrial education and skilled trades as a pathway to economic mobility and true independence for Black Americans in the formerly enslaved. He believed that a scholar was someone who mastered the application of their hands, what they learned in the classroom to real world experiences. And so we know that he is probably one of the most influential voices among the Black community between the years of 1895 to 1915 because of his influence, uh, not just in the space of industrial education, but also his political influence. He was the founder of the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute in 1881. We know it as Tuskegee University in Alabama. Um, he was known by many, especially black people, as an accommodationist uh, or for a lack of a better word, a sellout. Uh, they believed that his philosophy was a very pushing um, and was very appeasing to the quote-unquote white man. Um, and it was uh, to keep Black people from becoming better. And so while we do value his philosophy today and we tote him, he's done so many things, there were uh, some Black people who really did not appreciate his um his views, his viewpoints, because they felt like he was doing everything not to help black people um, on the come up, for lack of better words. He was uh, very instrumental in what we know now as career and technical education. I know I've said that a lot, but I really want that to stick. So uh, he he pushed what we know as industrial education. And so industrial education in America has evolved from industrial education to vocational education and what we know now in the 21st century as career and technical education. Career and technical education can be found in our K-12 schools and it can be also found in our community colleges and as well as some of our four-year institutions. And it really is a great way of learning real work uh, real world work in a classroom setting and with an academic application. And so I hear a lot of times like when my friend is like, when are kids going to learn life skill? How do they know financial planning or business this and business that? How do they know how to read a ruler and all the things? They can learn that in a career technical education classroom. And so the value of CTE is very, very much valuable <laughs> um, because it, students learn a lot of hands-on um, or do a lot of hands-on activity, and they, they learn how to apply math to solve a problem or English to address a problem. And so it's a great way to allow for education to come alive for a lot of students. And then, like I said, they can continue that on into the um, at the community college or at a four-year institution. And it also helps them better understand what jobs and what careers are out there realistically and what those careers can um, get them by making a, a livable wage good money, good jobs, you know, come through CTE. So anyway, he helped many black people advance socially and economically during that time, even though some of his methods were questionable. One of the things I remember reading about him um, when I was doing my research was when he founded the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute in Alabama, he had the only black bank on in that, that town area that loaned formerly enslaved men money to buy property from uh, uh, 
formerly uh, slave, slave owners. So he was helping people again advance economically by loaning them money to potentially buy property from uh, a white person who may have formerly enslaved them. So that was really, really big because there were no banks that would loan formerly enslaved individuals dollars, let alone um, someone who was formerly enslaved to become a productive citizen to even know how to go about getting a loan to buy property. So he really helped start the that financial conversation of what it's like for black people to own land, own property. And because that was housed on um, Tuskegee Normal Industrial Institute's property, he students were learning how to do the process. So not only were they in the classroom learning financial planning and all the things that comes with loaning money to people, um, they were really impacting their community. Same thing happened when um, students needed to build dormitories or classrooms on their campuses. The students who were in construction were the ones that were building the dormitories, the classroom, the buildings on campus. And they were also building houses in the community. So they were able to literally take what they learned in the classroom and immediately apply it, immediately apply it to the, uh, the community that they were in. Uh, to really affect change. And so that is one of the other things that CTE does. And one of the other things of his philosophy was that, you know, students should be able, again, to take what they learn in the classroom and apply it to real world scenarios. And so he was able to do that through educating his students. Um, he does not get recognition at all when it comes to career and technical education. So um, in a lot of the conferences that I go to or um, different conversations I've had, when we talk about or when the history of CTE is talked about, uh, Booker T. Washington's name is not mentioned uh, at all. There was one um, researcher, Dr. Howard Gordon, when I was doing my research, he actually was um, also one of my mentors throughout this process. Uh, but he was the only book that I found that really um, talked about Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois as it relates to the history of career and technical education. And I really think that we do a disservice for all of our students, black students, white students, um, Asian students, Hispanic students, all of our students who take advantage of our CTE programs when we don't include the history. So um, especially black students, right? We know that representation matters. And so when we don't include someone like Booker T. Washington in the history of CTE to say, no, you can do this because one of your founding fathers, someone who helped blaze the trails in so many ways when it comes to black education in America, was one of the pioneers as it relates to career and technical education. He changed the trajectory of formerly enslaved men and women um, in this country. He was he's a huge part of this history. And so when you leave someone like that out, of course you're gonna have low numbers of black students participating in these fields because they do not see themselves. So I don't wanna get ahead of myself, um, but it's important that he's included in history. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do my dissertation on him um, because I everywhere I went when I was in the space in the field of CT, no one talked about Booker T. Washington. And I knew about him the little bit that I didn't know as related to Tuskegee um, University, but I learned so much more by doing this um, this dissertation project. 
So one of his famous posts is, in all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as the fingers, yet one as the hand and all things essential to mutual progress. So he really was not calling for integration. Um, he was just saying, basically, you do what I, we do what we do, you do what you do, um, but we can all benefit. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to integrate. And so that was some of the things that you know, a lot of people like to pose the boys against Washington, but those that was one of the commonalities that I found found is that, you know, neither one of them really um, promoted uh, integration. And it wasn't like uh, uh, se segregation for the sake of segregation, but they wanted uh, black people to pull themselves up by themselves without the white man's help, like knowing that they could do it if they were just provided the same resources as their, um, as white people. So, um, another thing, one of the reasons why he was seen as a, as an accommodationist was because he did not speak out against the injustices that were necessarily happening to black people, like vocally. Um, so if we were com to compare his, uh, outward, uh, conversations or outward language as it was to opposing what white people were doing to black people at that time. He did not spend a lot of his energy uh, speaking outwardly against white people. He did, however, spend a lot of his energy um, doing political, moving politically so that black people could get ahead um, and making um, deals and getting money from white philanthropic uh, individuals from the North and the South to build uh, Tuskegee Normal, Normal Industrial Institute. So while he wasn't necessarily verbally, outwardly on the mic, going against what white people were doing, he was, he was definitely behind the scenes uh, moving and shaking to make sure that black people were able to get what they needed. And so for some black people, that was not enough though. They wanted to hear him say, you know, white people, you're wrong. You should not be doing this. You should not be doing that. Um, but that, that wasn't the way that he moved at that time. So he was very intentional and very political. Um, and then he died in, uh, in 1915 is when he died. So that's just a quick overview of some of the things that he did. Um, let's see. So his philosophy, again, was really about, it included the accommodationist piece, it included his elitism, which is also very similar to W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, I said earlier, he talked about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so nowadays, a lot of people take offense to that. It's like, what if I don't have any boots? What about the black people that don't have boots? And so he was he was definitely one of those people like if you work hard, you'll get what you um, you'll get something in return. And for a lot of black people that did not land well, um, he was about ownership. Again, I mentioned that he had the first black bank that lended money to that lend money to black people to own property. That was his work. Big on education in general. So really that contextualization of education, what does math look like apply? Like, I don't know if y'all remember when y'all was in high school and you're like, why do I need this math? How does it apply to real world? So he was really about like showing students how the math that they took applied to real world um, life. 
he was big on industrial education. Um, those, you know, we know like our gen eds, our math, our sciences, our English. Yeah, he was he was definitely for that. But then he was again also for the hands-on training for people to get the skills that they needed. And then all of this was taking place during the Reconstruction era. Um, so the period from when um, slaves were uh, the emancipation the emancipation of slavery to the reconstruction area was that period where Washington was very, very influential and white people listened to him. And so he used his voice to speak out. Well, I'm sorry, not speak out uh, so much against them, but to really advocate on the behalf of, of slavery. Um, so his speech, uh, the Atlanta compromise is one of the ones that, people really refer to um they all that's the one they refer to when they talk about the discord between him and the boys the speech spoke to both white southerners and formerly enslaved to encourage them as a way to coexist during post-slavery and through the reconstruction era so not necessarily speaking out against stuff but okay let's let's work together let's coexist uh, reminding white people that you know no, you can't have free labor from black people. I understand that we're no longer your slaves, but when you're looking for workers, don't forget about the fact that we know what we're doing. And so if you need work done, hire us, pay us, you know. Um, so he was really about black people using the skills that they have and using those skills to um, get work. So, um, and I, I think I, I like that because... You know, we, if you're in education, we talk about helping our students understand, like having a, um, uh, why can't I think of it right now? But it's like not having a deficit mindset, um, but having the mindset, I can't think of the words right now, so forgive me, but like you, you have skills that you bring to the table. Um, you may not have the skills that we're going to teach you, but you bring something to the table. And so that is one of the things that he was reminding black people and white people back then it's like okay white people we're not your slaves anymore you have to pay us and remember that we bring something to the table everything that we learned while we were uh plowing your fields and building this and doing this picking cotton we can do that but you need to pay us and for black people it's like hey just because you're not just just because you had um you were in, you were you were enslaved doesn't mean that you didn't learn anything and all the things like let's use what um i hate to go you know super biblical but what the enemy went for bad let's use it for our good and so it was a jacked up situation and we know it but we learned we have so many things to add to um the world because of the situation that we were in so um so yeah that's just a little bit about his philosophy, but I definitely understand that I understand how some people just could not get with that. And I don't necessarily agree with everything about his philosophy, but I think it's important to understand it, to understand where he's coming from and to see, you know, why he, he did what he did and how he moved the way he moved. And even if we don't necessarily agree with everything that he did, it still helped to, um, advanced, advanced the formerly enslaved um, black men in particular. Uh, he often used the teaching of head, heart, and hand. And if you ever been to 4-H and did any other camps, you probably remember this with the four leaf clovers. Um, I can't remember the other thing, but head, heart, and hand. Um, 
wanting everything I said, like that student that his students did to connect. And he designed Tuskegee so his students would contribute to the communities they lived in. So um, really making sure that students could contribute to the communities that they live in and it connected to their purpose and what they wanted to do. And a lot of times when I'm talking to students, I try to get them to understand that career and technical education can really feed into those passions. I often ask students, I'm like, instead of asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because that is a challenging uh, question to answer um, because there's so many things out here and it's like, I don't know, there's too many things. Give me a list of stuff. Um, but I um, ask students, what it, what is, what problem do you want to solve? Right? Like I got this from a coworker. Um, so it's not my original question, but I heard him say it and it's like, that is what we need to be asking students. Like, what problem do you want to solve? Because then we can help them understand that, um, there, there is an industry out there that can help you solve that problem. So for example, I'll hear students say, oh, I want to solve homelessness or the, or, or food insecurity. And it's like, man, did you know that if you became a farmer, uh, you could solve that and we need more black farmers. Uh, did you know, if you worked in construction you could build houses and help with homelessness and things like that affordable housing and so getting them to think that way uh it's not just only thinking about the three careers that we hear doctor lawyer nurse there's so many other things i even throw engineering in there you know nowadays a lot of people want to be engineers but there's so many levels to engineering that they can do um but for some reason students just think about four year and they don't think about all those other things so um, Washington believed that CTE was a form of social justice and economic freedom. So I mentioned before that he did not necessarily, a lot, in a lot of his talks, in a lot of his addresses, or even his writing, he didn't always come right out and say, you know, white people, you're doing this, you need to stop doing that. But he used his work with industrial education and making sure that black people had access to training as a way to combat social justice and economic freedom. Uh, he esteemed industrial education um, as, as a way for people to move up economically. And I personally think that that is, even in the 21st century, a way for people to move up economically through industrial educa education. Um, and Behind the scenes, he really did a lot. He raised tons of money from, like I said, white Southerners and white Northerners for the formal education of black men. And this laid the groundwork for many, many historically black colleges and universities in the South. So it's important to know that his social justice looked different. It didn't look like the boys, and that's okay. It looked very, very different. Um, Washington's hope was that educating the formerly enslaved and high demand industries would garner black Americans respect and therefore the white man would see them as equal. So um, this idea that black people were lazy because they were no, no longer enslaved would go away. And that was the hope of uh, Booker T. Washington if, you know, white people could see that black people do work. You just got to pay them. Um, so that was that was one of his his ways of getting black people to economic freedom. Some of the pros of Washington's philosophy are contextualized learning and culturally relevant teaching. Um, students being able to see themselves in the community, to see their impact in the communities. Um, 
this is very relevant to 21st century, right? Because we talk all the time, when I say 21st century nowadays, we talk all the time about representation, how to connect what students are learning in the classroom to their everyday lives because our students, um, our young people, our traditional students, college-age students, they see what's happening in their community and they want to know how they can impact it and make you know changes in their world. So career and technical education really does allow for them to do that. Many of his students became primary teachers in their schools, in their communities. So they were very, uh, very, very um, impactful on educating children or educating even adult learners during that time to help them become, um, uh, to get their education. That liberal education that we talk about, it was those industrial students teaching liberal education because he did, he had a teacher education at, um, at Tuskegee. Uh, many scholars and historians report that Washington was against liberal education, but he wasn't. He really wanted to con contextualize it. Um, and then he was really, really big on agriculture and farming and allowing uh, students to play in the soil and really, you know, get their hands, get their hands dirty. Um, so Washington, we've talked about, I've talked about this a couple of times, but the huge impact that he's had, um, I think the the thing that really kind of put a bad taste in a lot of black people's mouths back then was his relationship with Teddy Roosevelt. And so politics played a huge part in this. And um, he chose, I say this all the time, but if Washington was alive today, he would be a Republican. And for a lot of black people, that's, that's hard. That's a problem. I won't necessarily get into all of that at all, but, um, you know, that that was hard to swallow for some black people. Um, and so if we look at the timeline of these events, right, Washington is born in 1856. And just this is just like the impact of how history and what's going on around or in the world, what's going on with laws, what's going on with different things really impact black people. And it's, sometimes it feels like we take you know, one step forward to get knocked back, four steps back. I only say two steps back. It's like four or five step back. So um, this just gives you an idea of what he was up against when he was doing all this work. So he's born in 1856. In 1865, the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery. In 1866, uh, 1866, the 14th Amendment makes black people citizens. In 1868, the boys was... Uh, Washington or uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was born. So a uh, quick difference between the two of them. Washington was enslaved. Du Bois was born free. So that's that automatically gives them two different perspectives. In 1869, the 15th Amendment gives blacks voting rights. In 1881, Washington establishes the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute. In 1896, we have Plessy versus Ferguson. In 1993, the Supreme Court declares that the Civil Rights Act of 1875 is unconstitutional. Between 1952 to 1954, we have Brown versus the Board of Education. And then in 1964, we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So I just wanted to kind of give you that rundown because all of that and, and more there, I could have giving you more of the timeline, but all that really impacts um, the black experience. From a CTE lens, when we look at like federal legislation, um, 
in the funding for career and technical education. 1917 was the first Smith, the first federal legislation for CTE with the Smith Hughes Act. Um, so that allowed for the federal government to fund short-term training, career and technical education, industrial education, 1917, black people, they weren't thinking about black people. Okay. 1984, Carl D. Perkins, um, vocational and technical education act in 18 in 1984. It doesn't get reauthorized again until 2006. And then it doesn't get reauthorized again until 2018, which was just a couple of years ago. And so legally through the federal law my question is i don't know the answer to this but like are black people even considered um i will say that the strengthening career and technical education act for the 21st century it does have a lot of language in there about special populations um for people who are not in like the ct space or um in education basically that is Perkins language or their way of addressing equity, diversity, and inclusion. So it does talk about um, underrepresented students. It doesn't specifically say students of color, which I don't know. I have to think about that and how I feel about that later. However, it does use language like underrepresented students, um, students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, students whose parents are served in the military, single moms, non-traditional students, things like that. So. Um, it's also important to understand, again, when we think about the black experience with education and, you know, when we maybe talk about or think about why black students don't take advantage of CTE now, um, for a long time, they weren't, we weren't allowed in higher education period. So we had to create our own schools. Uh, well, let me back up for a second. Let me start with slavery. Start there sharecropping, Jim Crow, segregation, jails and prisons, tracking, and then we're not, again, we're not allowed in educational spaces. So we're enslaved, we're told we're not citizens, we're less than, we're treated like property, um, we are not allowed in schools, then we become free um, and we become sharecroppers, meaning that we, um, are free, but we're indebted to our masters because they are maybe letting us stay on the property, but we have to pay them. We, we have to pay our, our barter through, um, through work. I don't know if barter is the right word, but they basically using us <laughs> for free labor, um, as a way to keep us, to keep from having to pay black people, even though that they're free. Um, and then Jim Crow happens. And Jim Crow is a very, very long time. I need to go get exactly the dates of Jim Crow. I had them at one point, but I can't remember right now. But Jim Crow is a very, very long time, like a long time. Um, it's like from 18 something all the way to like 1954 or something like that. I just, I know, I just remember the dates. And I was like, oh, my mom was two years old when Jim, Jim Crow was happening. Segregation, you have the... Uh, prison jail to prison pipeline um, that happens tracking in schools and again not allowed and so this is just a cycle that just continues and keeps happening and it really truly is a problem um, and it really does prevent black students or you know keep them from pursuing career and technical education 
So some of the findings that came from the study, I will say this, they were not surprising. There was nothing new, nothing that, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. It's things that we know uh, and we just fail to implement, if if I'm completely honest. We know what to do, but we just don't do them for, for whatever reason, whether we're scared, we don't want to push the envelope, we uh, may say we don't know how to do it or don't even want to do it, if I'm honest. Um, and so, like I said, nothing was earth shattering. Nothing was um, revolutionary, if I could use that word. But they were important and worth repeating. So here we go. The findings show that language matters, right? I read an article that talked about the difference between using the word janitor and custodial worker and how that makes a difference in, in black cultures and in, in a lot of different cultures, how you phrase things, how you word things. Do people understand what you're talking about? I try very hard, even on this podcast, to use layman's terms. And if I didn't in this episode, I apologize. Um, and you all can give me that feedback. But, you know, I really, you know, how we explain things to people do they understand what we're talking about? And is it relevant to them? Does it relate to them? And that matters. And so if you, um, or if your program, or, you know, you want, you're somebody who wants to encourage people, black people in particular, to pursue career and technical education and do things in this space, how are you presenting the information to them? What is your language saying? Um, does it meet them where they are? Is it relatable? We need diversity in decision makers. You know, what do do the people that are making decisions about CTE look like the students that we're trying to attract? If everybody is um, in the schools or in the organizations and they don't look like black students, you don't have anybody on your boards or in your classrooms that represents the students that you're trying to get, then it's going to be very, very hard for you to understand uh, the barriers for them, what they're working with, what they're not working with, what their needs are, it's going to be very hard. So it's important to have diverse decision makers uh, that reflect the students that you're trying to get. And then point blank period, just black American represent representation. I hear a lot of times in um, education, we want to increase our um, our ma black males, uh, keep them in school, help them go back to school. We want to help our black females. Um, but if you don't have anybody out there that looks like them, that can talk to them, that can encourage them, that they can look look at and say, oh, I see myself in them. And we all can get inspired from a lot of different people. But I can't tell you how that that feeling that you feel when you look up and you see somebody that look like you, um, that um, they, they don't necessarily have all the same experiences, but they have some experiences. And if I say this, they, they're going to get it that makes all the difference. And so our students, when they see people that look like them, they don't have to cover or um, put on facades or anything to uh, get what they need or say what they need to say. So um, it helps them to let their guard down. And then the thing that, um, the other thing, I won't, I won't say the thing that I'm mostly pushing, but the acknowledgement of history. What you know what I take that back. That is a huge thing, right? Because we have a lot of stuff happening as it relates to um how people feel about critical race theory and what critical race theory is or is not. And so there is a lot of um whitewashing of history happening, especially when it comes to black history. And so the acknowledgement of history can make all the difference um in in a lot of these situations. And so I would say 
the acknowledgement of history was uh, was another finding. The fact that Booker T. Washington is not mentioned when I uh, attend conferences or when I hear people give speeches about the history of career technical education, it um, it makes me sad and it makes me angry because as a black female, I know he contributed a lot, a whole lot. He was the first. He was the person, I believe, if I read that correctly, in one of my article, in one of the articles, to name Black Wall Street. And if you know anything about Black Wall Street, um, you know that it was a huge deal for Black Americans. That was a place of wealth um, where Black people had their own businesses and were flourishing, and then it was destroyed. And so, but when Booker T. Washington landed in Tulsa, Oklahoma, he saw it, he called it Black Wall Street. He was really, really big on uh, entrepreneurship and black and black ownership. So I think acknowledging that history is super, super important so that um, our black students can see themselves and understand what they come from and, and have pride in what they come from. So anyway, um, that's just, it needs to happen. <laughs> I have no other, I have no nicer way of saying it. Um, so those were just some of the things that came out of the findings of, of, of what I learned about, about Booker T. Washington. And I will say one of the things that I do want to like, at some point, if I have, whenever I have some time is just look at, um, like what future research could lend itself. So like what were other black leaders contribution to career and technical education? When I was reading different articles and different books, like Booker T. Washington, W. Du Bois were the two that I chose, but there were so many other people like um, Carter G. Woodson. And um, I can't think of anybody else right now because my brain is like fried, but so many other black contributors to the space of education. Uh, and I think it speaks to career and technical education in particular, because a lot of our uh, historically black colleges were, were started with that industrial uh, education um, as, as part of their curriculum, as a huge part of their curriculum. So um, I, I think there are other black leaders that contributed to CTE that we're not talking about. Um, I want to even do further research about Tuskegee Normal Industrial Institute. I thought the way that Booker T. Washington designed and founded that school was very, very intentional. Like the education and why he taught his students what, why they learn what they learned, the teachers that he hired, um, the way that his classes were formalized, all the things, it was very intentional and it spoke to black students. And I think that um, when we talk about how do we retain students or keep them in our schools or keeping them in our programs, whether it be higher education or even K-12, like we got to take those things into consideration, right? We have to uh, consider our student and consider their perspectives and consider their barriers, the things that they go through, the things that they're experiencing outside of school. And I think um, Aside from the motivation, right, that they have, they have the opportunity to get education. I think a lot of the Tuskegee students felt the connection to their community, and that's what drove their motivation to continue getting their education. And then I want to know what the international impact of Tuskegee, the Tuskegee model, was. Um, I found some uh, documentation about uh, how a lot of other countries looked at Tuskegee as um, as a very, very important model. So. 
Well, that is where I will stop with my overview of Booker T. Washington. I have a lot more I could talk about, but this episode has gone on long enough. I hope that you all have enjoyed it. I hope that you've learned a lot. I will include uh, the podcast email um, in the show notes as well as uh, where you can find the dissertation and read uh, the article that I wrote about, or, or the manuscript rather, that I wrote about Booker T. Washington and his contributions. If you want to know more, until next month, I'll talk to you later. Bye.